Welcome to the Audit Room, the number one podcast where you can share your audit experiences, ask questions, and get expert coaching and feedback. Episodes are recorded live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Chicago Time, 12 noon New York, and 6 p.m. Berlin. So be sure to check the show notes to join our next meeting and get all your auditing questions answered. Now, here are our hosts, Trent Russell and Tracy Marquardt. This podcast is brought to you by Green Skies Analytics, the services firm that helps auditors leapfrog up the analytics maturity model. Their approach for launching audit analytics programs with a series of proven quick win analytics will guarantee the results worthy of the analytics hype. Whether your audit team needs a data strategy, methodology, governance, literacy, or anything else related to audit and analytics, visit greenskiesanalytics.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Quality Assurance Communication. If you're an internal auditor who wants to take your own or your team's communication skills and audit results to the next level, who wants to create more for yourself, your team, and your organization, no matter where you work around the globe, then check out Quality Assurance Communication at qacommunication.com. Hey everybody, I'm Trent Russell, and this is The Audit Room. You can join us live to ask your questions every Tuesday at 11 Central Standard Time by connecting with Tracy Marquardt or myself on LinkedIn. Again, I'm your co-host and moderator, Trent <laughs> Russell. I'm the founder of Green Skies Analytics, where we make analytics actually work for internal auditors. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tracy Marquardt. Hey there, everybody. It is Tracy here with you. I am back in Canada. Happy to be here. We are all things audit communication, which runs into your leadership and productivity for your team. So let us know if you need anything on that. I'm super happy today because um, we're talking about, I would say, Trent's favorite subject. Um, we're talking about data analytics. So we have Valerie Logan in the house with us. Now, Valerie is CEO and founder of the Data Lodge. And she is as committed to data literacy as it gets, right? So Obsessed. Um, I call it obsessed, Tracy. <laughs> Valerie believes that in today's digital society, data literacy is not just a work skill, it's a life skill. She's got over 28 years experience, brings a wealth of knowledge in information technology and or information management and advanced analytics. And she was named a finalist for Data Leader of the Year in 2018, Information Age Women in IT Awards, which I think is brilliant. I could go on, but um, Valerie, I'll let you add to my introduction. And I hope in the course of the session, you tell us a little bit more about the Data Lodge and the work you do there. So welcome to the audit room. Yeah, thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Trent. Um, yeah, great to be here. I run an organization called the Data Lodge, uh, where we, I like to say, we're your home for data literacy. Get the pun there, Tracy, home, yeah. lodge, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we, uh, yeah, we're a, kind of a non-traditional company. We're not a consulting company. We're a train-the-trainer model. So we are certifying the world's first data literacy program leaders and been doing that for three years and are working with amazing organizations who are cracking the data culture code with data literacy. So looking forward to... Uh, having this conversation. Yeah, and to Tracy's point, whenever I introduce someone to Val, it usually takes me like five minutes to get through just like all the impressive uh, accolades and background and all that. So we could probably spend half an episode just on doing that. But um, I did drop a link to the Data Lodge in the chat. So for those that are with us live, you can check that out. For those that are listening to the recording, it'll be in the show notes. One of my least favorite questions of every guest is, well, what is whatever that topic is. So in this case, data literacy. So I wanted to switch it up a little bit. Um, so your definition though, is the ability to read, write, and communicate with data in context. 
in both work and life. If, I think if you Google data literacy, you'll see something similar to that, but you emphasize the in context part. Why do you emphasize that so much? Yeah, I often say, Trent, that like those two words should have like a disco ball over them because I do believe that they are everything in this definition. So in context, meaning data literacy is really a very contextualized thing. So whether you are a nurse who used to um, uh, grab, you know, vitals every 30 minutes for a patient and now it's streaming data off the bedside or you are um, a delivery driver, you are the CEO, your interaction with data is going to be incredibly different and contextual. So um, I really like to just make the point in the definition that, look, this is this is not a one-size-fits-all topic. Yeah, and Tracy asked me earlier uh, when we had Val book, she was like, what the hell does this have to do with audit? And I was like, we'll get there. Uh, that's my bad. But hmm. one of the reasons that I've gotten to know Val and what she's doing at the Data Lodge is when we work with internal audit teams that have dedicated data analysts, the number one complaint that we hear is, well, nobody uses the tools that the analyst builds or they don't come to the analyst and say, can you build this thing for me, write this for me? At best, most of the time, it's can you pull this report, which is kind of a, a waste in a lot of ways. But so anyway, that's that's why uh, Val is here and how it relates to audit. There's a lot of these teams that have analysts, but then can't really figure out how to use them the best way possible. Well, and, and Trent, like the other part of that definition that you didn't call out that I want to call out is the last part of the definition, which is all, also not usually out there in when you Google searching data literacy, and that's the words in both work and life. So can I just double click on that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. So this isn't just like, hey, we're here from corporate, we're, we're, to, we're here to help with the data literacy program, because you know the response that employees have to that, right? It's like, oh, great, another corporate program. The news alert is that data literacy is a life skill and a work, sc work skill, and I like to say in that order. So just think back, everybody, about, you know, not just your your role as being in the audit profession, but think back about what's been going on the last few years in particular and how, you know, with, with COVID, for example, just watching the news, whether it's COVID or social injustice or climate change, I mean, pick your topic, more and more we are seeing, um, you know, there are sensors, there are data sources, there are um, you know, unstructured data is now being digitized. So all of this is resulting in data and the abundance of charts and narratives and headlines on what these, what the data means. And so my message is, you know, when someone's trying to make a decision on whether to send the kids to school, looking at a chart um, or watching the news and coming up with a view, this is a life skill. You know, um, there are there are efforts underway. Um, there's a new uh, uh, act in uh, the U.S. around data literacy uh, being embedded into K through 12 schools, and so this is a, this is a bigger thing than just work. And so I think it's not our benefit to be able to look at it through the audit lens. But please keep in mind it's it's work and life. Yeah. Do you buy that, Trent? Do you think I'm? Do you think that's that's hype, or do you believe that? A hundred percent, and specifically when you talk about news outlets and how they represent data there are plenty of use cases i mean you could search this for the on, on the internet um of where a chart is not exactly telling the truth uh it's very much skewed 
and just understanding even how a population was obtained or where the sample was taken from, you know, if, if they're doing some kind of survey or something and being able to question those almost and go, okay, well, just because it's coming from the thing that I believe in doesn't mean that they're telling 100% the truth. Um, so that's where in my personal life anyway, I basically don't trust anything anymore. <laughs> but on a scale, yeah. let's, let's talk about yeah, um, almost a little more practical. Let's say on a scale of one to 10, where one is um, bad data literacy, we'll say, or illiterate, data illiterate. And 10 is uh, like the highest level you can get. And let's say I'm a one today and then tomorrow for whatever reason, I'm a 10. How is that going to change my professional career, my personal life? What what difference is it going to make? Yeah. I, you know what? Nobody ever asked me it that way. And I think it's a really, a really good way to frame it. So, so when, when I talk about data literacy, it's really developing three things or three capabilities. It's, it's mindset, language, and skills. So a lot of people think data literacy is just like, oh, can I do read a chart or, you know, interact with a visualization, but it's really data literacy is mindset, which if you're a one, you probably say things like, I'm not a data person. That's a mindset. That's a limiting belief. If you're a 10, you say, you know what? I use data every day in my work and personal life and it matters. And I want to be really aware of it. So mindset one to 10 would be you know, not aware versus extremely aware and protective and supportive and really curious about data. That would be the mindset, I guess, spectrum of one to 10. The language piece is a one would be, you can barely spell data, even though it's like in front of you on a screen. <laughs> a 10 would be data literacy is not just about data. It's about really three things. There's So, so there's this language to data. And if you've been around it, you know, I've been around it 30 years, you know, using data to solve problems. When you do that, there's really three sets of terms that make up the language. And that's what would determine if you're a one or a 10, can you speak this language? And the terms are business acumen, so you're conducting an audit, all the language around the business of the audit, the, the information. So what are the data sources? What are the data sets? What are the data attributes? Do you understand data quality? And then finally, the analytics, which is what kind of analytical methods being applied to that data. And it could be a bar chart or it could be natural language processing or artificial intelligence. So there is a language. So one to 10 on the language piece of it, Trent, would be one is you can't spell it. 10 is you're aware that there's business terms, data terms, and analytical terms, and you could at least explain them in at least you know logical terms to somebody in a way they can understand them. Um, and then the skills piece, you're data literate if you're a critical thinker. So if you see a chart and someone uh, is putting some headline out there, if you if someone presents you a chart in, in work or you're watching it on the news, it, you are data literate, you're a 10, if you are a discerning consumer of that chart. If you are looking for the source and the assumptions before you react to the headline, that is strong data literacy. If you can tell a story with data and evidence, that is what a 10 looks like versus a one would be like, Ooh, I hope they don't ex ask me to explain that chart. <laughs> or a 10 could be another skill is like understanding privacy and bias and ethics. You're a 10. If you are even aware that data may be biased, 
that there are ethical implement it, implications of using certain data. So I hope, I know that was a really long answer, but mindset, language, and skills make up what does it mean to be data literate? And you, I hope I painted at least some of that contrast of what is a one and what is a 10. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an amazing answer. I think for me, it prompts a lot of questions because I'm not the data analyst, right? So I'm definitely not your 10, um, but I'm not your one either. And it, I was surprised when you talked about language in those three ways, which is not the way I think of language when I'm talking about audit report writing or something like that. Um, so how, how are we in general, I guess would be my question. I'm, you know, I, Trent and I were, you know, what's, what's happening before this just a little bit and, and trying to try and quote the WhatsApp that we did. I don't know. I thought that was, I thought that was private conversation. About... So. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll... No, so I'm kidding. Question... Go ahead. Go no. ahead. I don't care. I was going to say, I'll just form a question. You no, know, because Trent was talking about how, you know, teams don't necessarily know how to communicate with the data analyst. So I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't it the data analyst that doesn't know how to communicate with the teams? Like, so are we chicken and egg conversation? No, or... that's, you just nailed it. You actually just nailed it. So, so years ago, I was always, so here's where this came from in Valerie Logan's life. So where this came from when I was original shy math major who never talked to anybody. Then I went to work in a phone company and I was plopped right in the middle of like, I was this quant math major and I had to talk to like business people and the IT tech people that knew the data. What happened was I started to become this translator between the business people, the data people in IT and the quants because a lot of people didn't understand the math side. So I started being that translator. And what you're picking up on there, Tracy, is really the language we're talking about. You don't have, you don't talk about data just for the sake of data. Like, oh, look at that log data from my phone. How cool is that? No, you don't do that. You talk about how can that log data actually be used maybe to solve a case on criminal minds or something, right? I mean, you talk about the application of the data. What has been missing and has not been explicit is when we when people have those conversations who have been in those solutions, they're they're talking about the business, the data, and the math. So the language I I, I coined a phrase called ISL, information as a second language. It's as visceral as ESL, English as a second language, because nice. data is everywhere. So I think really your point of is it the business people learning data or is it the data people learning business? Yes, it's both. It yeah. is business literacy, data literacy, and analytical literacy. I just call it all data literacy. Because I think, you, I mean, you're into yeah. it so much deeper than I am. And I'm looking at it as, you know, from audit report writing or communicating. I think I did um, a presentation for one of the IAAs last year, communication strategies for data geeks, right? Just trying yep. to help them kind of understand they need to pull the important piece of the data out that they're showing to us or tell us what's important. So we're just not looking at a sea of things where, where we don't know and sort of create that story that you mentioned around the data. So I may be at more of a surface level, but of interpret interpreting that data for our, our end users as opposed to digging in and asking about the source. That's a whole different level from my perspective. Yeah, it, absolutely. And I, I would offer to you and to everyone this idea of just start thinking and treating data almost like a language. I mean, yeah. I have people that go to their LinkedIn profile after taking a course and they like mine will say English, French, and data, like in their languages, right? Because data is becoming that pervasive. Like, can you, 
put on those data glasses and actually like see the data in a situation. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage you to think of it that way first, but then secondly, here's the beauty of it. You speak the audit dialect of data. So every industry and business domain, whether it's a healthcare industry or the audit business domain, are dialects of the language. Herein lies the context. I hope that's resonating. So yeah. you guys are you guys are all the audit dialect experts. You just maybe don't think of yourselves that way. Right. Perfect. Brilliant. Well, you talked earlier about how like if this came down as a corporate initiative of like, hey, we're gonna do a data literacy program. People are probably just gonna roll their eyes and be like, oh, we gotta do this other thing. Um, why is there that eye roll? Why do these programs seemingly always fail? Mm -hmm. I think, um, I don't know. I think that's really changing. I think historically I've been part of, you know, corporate movements before in programs where, you know, it always comes top down uh -huh. and it comes as almost like a mandate and a checkbox activity. I think things are shifting now where, you know, I think there's more just grassroots movement, especially on this. If you can ignite this interest that it's a personal skill as much as a work skill, what I'm finding with organizations that are doing this is if they can ignite that kind of viral movement about that this is something that matters to you as a parent, a voter, a citizen, a consumer, then there's more opportunity. But I think classically why programs like this fail is they are viewed as either just training, right? Like if you scope this as like, okay, go take your annual course and check that box, it doesn't become part of the flow of how you actually do your job. So I think that's part of why it's separate versus part of. Um, I think a lot of times it is driven top down versus engaging local coaches and ambassadors who maybe already do this, but they aren't really pulled into the fold. Um, I think those are kind of the main reasons. And then I think all the confusion and the hype in the market of like, well, what is this even? Yeah. Like people not even knowing like, what is this? So I think that's why I spent so much time in the beginning just explaining like, what do we mean by this? Yeah, That's that's where I'd like you to go. Like if, if you had to give me a two, two minute pitch on what is a data literacy program in a company? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So a data literacy program, in, you know, what I'll usually say is what it's not. So most people will think a data literacy program is standing up an academy, roll out some self-paced courses, check the box, you know, make everybody take it. That is not an effective data literacy program. A data literacy program is a change management program, even though those are dirty words. Some people yeah. don't like to hear change management, but we're talking about human beings and helping people behave differently. But it's really three things. It's um, engagement, like how do you communicate about this? How do you engage people? How do you make this interesting? How do you make it relevant and helpful to what they do? So like, how do you brand the program? How do you, you know, the communications and the engagement, the development is absolutely the training, the assessments. How do you make part of this, make this part of careers and job development? Okay. And then enablement, which is how do you get scale? Like, how do you support people? How do you, um, things like, a business glossary and a data dictionary? How do you have a shared language without a dictionary? Um, office hours, things like that. So engagement, development, enablement, it's not just training. That's my one-liner for you, Tracy. Thank you. And the, I was gonna ask you like what's, and maybe you hit on it enough, 
there already, but what's the, if I, if I call it the data lodge difference, like why is your program so effective relative to others? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, first of all, it's me. No, <laughs> I was going to say very humble. No, that's I very true. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. I think you could have just no, said um... that and we went, yeah, that's good. That's it. <laughs> No. Um, so, so I think the difference is number one, I don't think you change culture from the outside in, I think you change it inside out. So we're, we do a train the trainer model. So I help people build data literacy programs from the inside out. I think that's key. Secondly, we make it personal. So you have to tap, how does this help people personally? Um, that gets at the what's in it for me. And then third is the ISL method. The information as a second language is we really hit home on the language piece of this. Because at the end of the day, the way people think and collaborate and interact is based on how they communicate. So those are kind of the kind of the reasons. Um, and we have a really cool mascot. We have a yellow lab Cooper, and he's got he's got a big following. Mascots are key. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, and then you I mentioned, some, yeah, I see somebody putting. I see Hal put in the chat. Don't people need to know the why, not just the what? Absolutely, Absolutely. the why. The why has many elements. Most people think this is just about upskilling and training, but this is also about like collaboration. Like how do you help people who don't usually collaborate in the organization actually understand each other? So maybe it's maybe it's um, you know, data scientists collaborating with the frontline auditors. Maybe that's not typically an interaction. Or maybe it's the um different business teams who don't normally share data. I know, strange phenomenon, but that whole hoarding of data, a lot of times that's because people don't want it used irresponsibly. So if you work through the data literacy and say, hey, here's how I'd really like to use that data, you can open up new channels of collaboration in a trusted way. Um, So yeah, the why matters a ton, Hal. Thanks for that. Is the collab? You mentioned a community earlier. Is that where the collaboration comes into play? Also, how does the, how does having the community work? So, in a data literacy program, we it's not just like a couple people sitting in corporate. It's more about how do you seed a group of ambassadors? You know that understand the language. That could be the local translators. So usually, organizations will have some kind of like center of excellence around maybe business analysts, data analysts, maybe business intelligence people who are local to the business. They're not like off in an ivory tower. They're they're embedded in the business. They become the local coaches and ambassadors. They are the community, right? And they're they're probably doing this already today. They're coaching. They just don't have any kind of like method or structure to support it. Got if it. that helps, Trent. Yep. And then Hal has another question. And it's something that has kind of been talked about. I've seen amongst some of the the data folks within the audit um, area. I'm, I, I'm trying not to use dialect now because it's not exactly right. But um, Al's question is, how do you overcome some people's anxiety about data? First of all, that's mindset. Um, so it's a re- just even being aware that someone has de- data anxiety. And, and the question would be, how does that show up? It shows up when... Um, people will say things like, I'm not a data person. And the way, my best way, Hal, to overcome that is I actually believe we're all data people. And, and the way that, that we can meet people where they are with that is, is to find out how they naturally use data in their lives, where they are, they are data people and they don't have data anxiety. 
in, in their life. So maybe it's my husband's a big fantasy football guy on Sunday morning. He's picking his team, picking his roster. You know, he's clearly a data person in the football, fantasy football dialect of data. Or he rides an Indian motorcycle and he knows all everything about Indian motorcycles and all that data. So what I do is I lean into, first of all, acknowledge that somebody does have that like anxiety and lean into that and be like, I get it. I, I get new things are hard or, or things like that, that feel technical, but then say, in what ways do you use data in your life? You know, maybe they've got a college or a, a college bound, you know, 18 year old heading off to school and they're shopping for, for colleges, lean in and find out where are they a data person and help them see you're more of a data person than you realize. Um, and, and worst case scenario, if they drive a car, ask them, this is my favorite one. I'll say, um, do you, oh, you're not a data person. You don't drive a car. You run out of gas. Like even looking at the dashboard in your car. Right. It's a data informed decision. You've changed right? my whole it's perspective It's a data informed decision. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everything is data. Okay. So everything is data driven. I'm a data person now. Nice. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Trace my, is super active on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. I bet you, I bet you know all the LinkedIn data. You have the LinkedIn <laughs> I don't know how many uh, eyes were on my posts. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Al. Al is very data driven with his posts. Yeah. Well, so. I, I laughed when you mentioned fantasy football. That's a bit how I got into it. Um, like I was always doing it, but then once I started, because there's so much good data around fantasy football, um, that I just started building out these various analytics for that. And that's, to me, I like I, that's what I recommend to people. If you have like a hobby, especially that you can do this with, like everybody has Excel grab it you have a question of the yeah. data i'm sure and then just google around how to do whatever it is you need to do in excel and like you'll you can figure it out and so um that's specifically what i do when i get a new tool i need to learn a new tool i would go all right it's going to be the most fun if i do it with fantasy football data or college football data and so that's what i'd always um that's how i would learn new tools but yeah, all right absolutely. i've got i've got one more because it seems like with yeah. like any kind of change management program also it, it's difficult to understand the ROI of those. And so what is the ROI of data literacy or, or data literacy program? It's ironic because I just came off my community call where we spent an hour talking about Perfect. ROI. This is the hot question. Perfect. So, so first of all, I want to, um, I assume you mean return on investment. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I like to play back and say there's another ROI on data literacy programs, which is risk of ignoring. Oh, we nice love one. risk. We love risk. Okay. I, well, I know you do love risk. Audit, no, so, sorry. So, so my point is, first of all, a data literacy program is a minor, minuscule investment compared to what companies and organizations are spending on data, you know, modernizing platforms and self-service. So in the grand scheme of investments, people ought to be asking the ROI on those investments before they come knocking at the data literacy door saying, um, you know, you got, yeah, anyway, that it's, it's a little yourself, peeve. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But the data literacy program is an insurance policy on those other big investments. Organizations are spending tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to modernize the cloud infrastructure, integrate data, clean data, artificial intelligence. Data literacy is a small insurance policy in that grand scheme. Having said that, the ROI can be looked at through the engagement, the model of the program. How are you engaging people? 
How are you developing people and how are you uh, enabling people? So when you're looking at the ROI, look at, are you retaining people? So for example, people will hire data scientists, very expensive talent, and then they'll leave uh-huh. because the rest of the organization is not um, upskilling and Perfect. self-serving from the dashboard. What happens then, I'm just giving you one one little thread to pull here. What happens is if people do not feel confident getting access themselves from the dashboards, what do they do? They go and ask the expensive data scientist, hey, can you build a report for me? What happens then is that very expensive data scientist said, this isn't what I was hired for, I'm leaving. That has a cost to the organization. That one retention element is probably about the cost of your data literacy yeah. program. So there is a there are a lot of um, different elements around engagement, development, enablement you can look at. The headline for me is, Data literacy is an insurance policy on your other investments, whether it's your talent, your platform, your data quality. I'll I'll leave it there. It's more involved, but I, I think that's the headline to take away. Yeah. And that story you told about the the data scientists not doing data science things is very, very, very real. That's probably one of the most common uh, issues we hear. But uh, with that- Or they're throw... cleaning data. Or, or they're cleaning, cleaning yeah. data. Yeah. You hire scientists <laughs> to do engineer work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I'll throw it to uh, Tracy to close this out. And then Valerie, she'll throw it to you. Whatever your final message is to the audience, last words, whatever those might be. But uh, Tracy. Okay. This has been a super valuable session uh, for me personally as well, because I've never really thought about data literacy. So I love the three concepts of mindset, language, skills. Um, you know, information as a second language, you know, ROI, risk of ignoring, insurance policy really great stuff. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. And I look forward, you know, to you being part of our community. And I highly uh, recommend everyone connect with Valerie on LinkedIn if they haven't already. And I'll leave it to you for the last word, Valerie. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me. Great interaction in the chat. Um, I just I just want to mention that this is personal and every single person listening to this, whether you're alive or not, you have an opportunity to be a change agent around data. And just these few things that we talked about, like putting on data glasses, understanding that you speak the audit dialect of data, and that this is personal. This is something that help people with the mindset of if they do have those limiting beliefs, it all starts literally with each of us leading this change. So happy to connect on LinkedIn. If anyone's, you know, struggling with getting off the dime with this stuff, happy to help. But um, I just really enjoy the chance to have these conversations and appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you.